The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks so that uh, we can stop uh, our busy day just for a few moments that we might reflect upon your word. We pray that you would impart to us light and truth and that indeed you would feed us with Christ, the manna from heaven, that we might be strengthened and better equipped to serve you and our fellow brothers and sisters. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 62, Psalm 62, and uh, I want us briefly this morning to look at uh, what the psalmist has to say here. Uh, It's uh, some, I think, really important, important information, to say the least. Uh, So let's let's go ahead and look at Psalm 62, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of God. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I don't know about you, but one of the things that uh, I've noticed these days as I look at the media, uh, mostly the internet and and what have you, is that uh, it seems that we live in a highly vitriolic age, uh, highly contentious. I don't know how it compares with previous generations, but it seems to be pretty intense. That the moment that somebody does something that you don't like, well, you have license to respond. Wherever you stand in our particular political climate these days, it's not so much whatever your view might be, but what I think has struck me is the fact that if, uh, if somebody doesn't like what somebody says, it's, it's almost a license, it seems, for immediate anger, for immediate criticism, for immediate uh, harsh words, or in some cases, even violence. If you don't like what the person's saying, beat them up. Well. My fear is, is that in this ever-increasingly nasty culture in which we find ourselves, that the church, to a certain extent, can be shaped uh, by this uh, negativity. That we go to drink 
a little bit of water from the surrounding culture and in the process become infected with this type of response to criticism, to persecution, or to suffering. And so what I want us to do this morning is just briefly reflect upon the psalmist and what he has to say here in Psalm 62, and that in the face of suffering, in the face of criticism, or perhaps even in the face of persecution, there can be a number of responses that we as Christians uh, use. I don't want you to think that what I'm talking about this morning is the only potential response, but what I want us to consider is what the psalmist has to say about silence. What the psalmist has to say about silence and what he has to say about silence, particularly in the face of persecution, suffering, or even harsh criticism. And so I want us to look at what the psalmist says about silence here in Psalm 62, and I want us to follow, secondly, the psalmist's rough-hewn sketch about silence and trace it, really, in the end, to the foot of the cross. So let's consider what the psalmist says here about uh, silence. Now, we don't know the specific context other than the psalmist is under significant attack, withering criticism and even persecution. We read in verses three and four, how long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. I mean, you listen to the psalmist's description there, that he's being battered like a leaning fence. It's as if uh, his critics are trying to push him over and to knock him down. We can also see that his critics are deceptive and even hypocritical. It says there that they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. In other words, they're, they're two-faced and they're quite adamant about it. Now, what struck me about this passage is that the psalmist, I think, recognizes that there were a number of ways that he could respond. How often is it the case that uh, you want to meet fire with fire? If somebody is criticizing you, well, then I'm going to criticize back. If somebody insults you, well, then you say, well, I'm going to insult back. After all, I have to defend myself, right? Well, notice the psalmist here in verse 10. He says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. So here, the the inclination is to use any and every means at our disposal. Let's say you're dealing with a tough situation in your church and your inclination might be, if only I could record the conversation then I could get the person's negativity and nastiness on tape, or digital, you know, I'm old. And then I could play it for the elders and the people in the church would hear firsthand. Aside from the fact that that's illegal. Not allowed to do that, unless of course you tell the person, hey, do you mind if I tape our conversation? Then of course the person would behave like an angel. No, not extortion. Not, uh, not uh, sinful responses, not robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. 
In other words, how many of us have thought, if only I had the financial means, then I could do it. I could fix the problem. Although in this case, I say, Lord, yes, let me not trust in riches, although it wouldn't hurt if you gave me some. <laughs> totally open to it. I won't rest in it, I promise. No, he doesn't want to resort to sinful responses to the criticism. He doesn't want to resort to sin when he finds himself being uh, mercilessly persecuted. And on top of that, notice what he says in verse 8, in that he calls to his fellow Israelites instead of resorting to sin. He says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So here we can see that for the psalmist, his faith and trust in God was a vessel that allowed him to sail through the stormy waters of criticism and suffering and persecution. But in particular, I want you to take note of the psalmist's posture. Verses one and two and then five. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Notice that he waits in silence. Think how difficult that must be or how, much, how difficult it was for the psalmist. He's being attacked. People are launching into him with verbal assaults. He could easily respond in anger. He could easily respond with rebuke. Maybe in some cases that's what's warranted, but in this particular case, he says, I wait in silence. He didn't respond in sin. He simply received the suffering. Well, this brings us, I think, to our second point, which is, is if there's a subject that lies at the heart of the wisdom literature, which is what this chapel series is about this semester as we continue uh, carrying over what we've been discussing in the fall, I think at the heart of wisdom literature beats suffering. But the suffering that we read about at the heart of wisdom literature always has a cruciform shape, always is in the shape of the cross. In the Old Testament, I think we find the sufferings of Christ foreshadowed, sketched out in Old Testament figures such as Joseph or Job. When Joseph was wrongly imprisoned, he was you know, kidnapped and then thrown in a ditch and then uh, sold off into slavery and then again wrongly imprisoned? Or Job, Job, you know, for no uh, sin of his own, he was subject to great and intense suffering. And in those two figures, we see, I think, the suffering of Christ, albeit, again, in rough draft, or at least in foreshadowing. But the closer that we get to the New Testament, I think, the revelation of the incarnate Christ begins to shine more and more light upon redemptive history, so much so that we begin to see Christ ever more clearly, so that when we read, for example, from the prophet Isaiah, 
as he stood, if you will, at the precipice of the unveiling of the incarnate Christ in redemptive history. We read in Isaiah 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. I think the silence of the psalmist in Psalm 62 gets fully revealed in the silence of the Messiah as he hung upon the cross. If there was ever a time to unleash rebuke, criticism, righteous anger and indignation, it certainly was in Christ's crucifixion. And yet there he hung silently. He did not resort to sinful responses, of course. He was without sin. But in the words of the psalmist, he didn't resort to extortion. He didn't resort to robbery. He didn't resort to riches. Instead, he was silent before his persecutors. And when he did speak, amazingly, he offered words of love and mercy. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In the words of the psalmist, I think Christ's deliverance rested with God, his Father. He entrusted himself to his mighty uh, rock and his deliverer. And he silently waited upon the Lord. He cried out to his father in prayer. I think sometimes we can say that, yeah, we should be silent towards those who are critical of us, those who insult us, uh, those who persecute or inflict suffering upon us. But that doesn't mean that we should be completely silent because the psalmist cried out to the Lord in prayer, seeking strength in the midst of his suffering. And certainly this was the case with Christ in his crucifixion. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Well, blessedly, we know that the father answered the son in prayer. He answered him when he raised him on the third day. And as Paul says, he declared him to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. God will answer our prayers. But I think sometimes... In the face of suffering or persecution or criticism, insults, I think wisdom tells us, the wisdom of Christ tells us that silence is what we, have, we are called to. I want to conclude by appealing to uh, an anecdote, I think, that hopefully illustrates this. I don't know about you, but uh, the Super Bowl for this past you know, weekend, uh, or you know, Lord's Day, which for the record I was in church, I have alibis. Um, uh, doc, Dr. Estelle can uh, testify that I was there Sunday night and I was not looking at my phone in the middle of the service. Uh, so I, I, have, uh, I have alibis for sure. But in everything that I've read uh, and uh, watched the highlights and everything like that, one of the things that really struck me among many things, a lot of things, a lot of life, a lot of life lessons in that game is that I watched very closely to see what and if Tom Brady would do when he received the Super Bowl trophy from Roger Goodell. 
I mean, here, the whole deflate gate, you know, controversy, suspended for four games, you know, everything. If there was ever a time when I would expect somebody to say, in your face, you tried to keep and hold me down, well, look now. I mean, a lot of the fans did that. You know, there was merciless booing when Goodell went up there to hand him the trophy. And yet, I was impressed with the fact that maybe the exchange was a little awkward. <laughs> you know, hello, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then the next day, they did another handoff of the trophy before the press. And the whole time, he never said a word. When asked at the press conferences, are you out for revenge? He deflected and was like, no, no, that's, that's not what this is about. And I thought, here's a man who depending upon you know, the search situation, in one sense had a right to kind of lash out and say, look, you unjustly you know, persecuted me. You punished me. Maybe he was guilty, I don't know. But I was impressed with his professionalism in, in one respect in, in, in terms of the text here, his silence. If that's the kind of response that the world can give in the face of what is perceived to be an unjust persecution, then what do we as Christians who feast upon the grace of the gospel of Christ through the means of grace, how should we respond? And beloved in Christ, I submit to you that in the face of persecution, suffering, unjust criticism, that sometimes our posture should not be one of response, anger, but rather silence. In the words of the psalmist, to you, beloved in Christ, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Flee to Christ in the grace of the gospel and in the words of the psalmist, be still and know that he is God. Remain silent and take refuge in God. Flee to the foot of the cross and seek shelter in Christ's silence. And if you do break your silence, do so as you cry out to our heavenly Father in prayer. Let's bow together in a word. Father God, we give you thanks that indeed you are our refuge. So often, Father, our desire is for immediate vindication, the immediate proof that we are innocent of wrongdoing, that we have been unjustly assaulted with words and criticism, or in some cases, for some believers in the world, uh, certainly unjust persecution for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would keep us far from sin, that you would not allow anger to get a foothold within us, that we would not give the enemy the opportunity, but rather in our moments of weakness and suffering, that we would take shelter in the cross of Christ, and that indeed by the power of your spirit you would form within us uh, the image of Christ, that we would respond with silence, patience, and ultimately an unwavering trust 
and a willingness to accept your holy providence, knowing that in the end you have our good in mind, our further conformity to the image of your Son, and ultimately your glory. So we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2017, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge.